Patriots Beat is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. And happy New Year. It is Brian Hines and Alex Barth back with a brand new live edition of the Patriots Beat podcast right here on the CLNS Media Network. And a lot to talk about today. We have a Pats-Bills game to break down, which feels like ages ago at this point because we had so many awesome college football games yesterday. We can touch on that to end the show as well with, you know, some interesting quarterback prospects and Michael Penix playing amazing last night. So we'll get to all of that. I'll talk all that football, but we're going to start with Gerard Mayo and we're going to start with Bill Belichick uh, to begin here because Gerard Mayo spoke to the media this morning and he was asked about the report last week from Greg Bedard of Boston Sports Journal that he was rubbing some people the wrong way in the organization since he's gotten that contract extension in the offseason and that press release from Robert Kraft that said they're keeping Mayo around, which kind of put him on the map to be the potential successor at some point for, for Bill Belichick and whether they were thinking or not that it would be maybe next year at the time they signed it. Like that's kind of where we're at now. And so with a lot of people looking at Mayo, it's the report was he was rubbing people the wrong way. And he was asked about that this morning and he gave a really good genuine answer. I thought where, you know, he said it it hurt him at first a little bit that people would say this behind his back, but at the same time, he took some time to self-reflect and said to be a leader and to be a potential head coach, you kind of might have to rub some people the long way. And he just hopes that people are being truthful with him and his players are knowing that he's just trying to put them in the best positions to succeed as, as a coach. And Greg had a follow-up on the sports hub today and said that he didn't hear it from a player for whatever yeah. that's worth. I, I really liked what Mayo had to say, and he's right. He didn't necessarily deny it, but he just said, hey, as a leader, sometimes you have to ruffle some feathers, and that's the truth. That if, if, if Sometimes you just have to kind of take charge, and there is a fine line certainly between you know, taking charge and sort of bullying people, but – a lot of the other stuff we've heard about Mayo, especially from the players, is it doesn't seem like too much of an issue that it's too over the top. So I, I thought his answer uh, – there's two sides to every story, but I thought Mayo's answer was great, and I think he just continues to sound like a guy that's ready to be an NFL head coach. And, and whether that's here, whether that's elsewhere, whether it's next year, whether it's down the road, we'll see. But I, I just continue to be impressed by uh, just the way he interacts on a person-to-person basis. You know, it's – Tough questions he had to answer from us today, and I, I thought he knocked it out of the park. And that's not nothing. Like, he, he wasn't feeding us lines. This yeah. wasn't some – I don't want to say it wasn't a pre-prepared statement because it sounded like he thought a lot about it. But this wasn't, you know, reading off a piece of paper or whatever. He he spoke from the heart, and he deserves credit for that. And I think as a player, when you have a guy, uh, you know, setting that example and, and, and addressing issues like that, it's easy to get behind and follow a guy like that. Yep. I, I had a friend text me. He's like, was this just a PR kind of answer just to like, and I didn't no. get that impression at all. I thought like he obviously, he said he self-reflected about it. So he thought about it a lot, but it, it definitely seemed like a really genuine, uh, a good answer. And he meant what he said. And yeah, you're going to have to ruffle some feathers as a leader, especially as, as a football coach, right? Like right. Yeah, that's part of your job. But yeah, I, I thought his answer was, was really good. And, and he continues to impress kind of it all in all facets there and we might be gearing up for him to be the head coach here and another report over the weekend was Josina Anderson who I believe she's at the athletic now but she came out and had a report that 
Bill Belichick is drawing some interest from two teams, and she specifically labeled the Los Angeles, I almost said San Diego, but Los Angeles Chargers as one of those teams, and that the Chargers are also running their head coach and general manager searches simultaneously. And, you know, that's Bill Belichick, music to his ears right there. If he can go somewhere and have the power over the roster and, and be the head coach as he does here in New England. So that's a team a lot of us thought would be interested in him. And, and Josina kind of confirmed that one there the other night. And so something to watch there as, as we get into, you know, week 18 and, and then Black Monday next week. Yeah, and this is going to be be the story here for for the next week, maybe two weeks if it drags on, and it shouldn't drag on any more than that. But what is Bill Belichick's future? What is the plan? Uh, does he have a chance to go into the uh, into his meeting with Kraft and save his job, or is it already a formality one way or the other? Is Kraft going to have him back? Is Kraft going to not have him back? No matter what's said in that meeting. We don't know. We have no way of knowing. We're just going to kind of have to wait and see. I don't. You're going to get like reports, reports about this, but I don't think we're really going to know until we know. Like this is going to be kept super close to the vest, all of that, and we'll see. But this is, you know, I think there's a. It would make sense to treat Sunday as Bill Belichick's last game with the Patriots. It, worst case scenario, it's not. It's like Tom Brady's first retirement, right? <laughs> you might as well get it out of the. You know, you might as well get it all out because you don't know if you're going to have another chance, and then we'll see from there. I'd imagine whatever happens, it'd be kind of like the press release last year, right? That just kind of came out of nowhere and you didn't hear any reports of any of that. And then all of a sudden this press release comes out that they're opening this offensive coordinator search and Gerard Mayo is getting an extension and everyone just kind of freaks out from there. So I I'd, I agree. You're, they're going to sit down as they do every year at some point here. Robert might have his mind made up. Bill's probably going to fight for his job if he still wants to be here. And then you'll probably hear some reports and then the news will break. Uh, they'll probably release some sort of statement with, with whatever going is going to happen there. So we'll see. But yeah, Sunday could be the last one for Bill Belichick there as the New York Jets come to town. But the Patriots are 4-12 and after they lost last week's game to the Buffalo Bills up there in Orchard Park, 27-21. Uh, it got off to a good start. They actually returned the opening kickoff this time instead of allowing the opening kickoff. So got off to a good start. Uh, defense kept them in the game, but as Bill described it as a, just a terrible first 20 minutes with a bunch of turnovers, just kind of dug them way too big of a hole. Bailey Zappi, three interceptions. Farrow Brown had a fumble. Buffalo had 20 points off the turnovers. So it, it was just too big of a mess for a team that can't afford to shoot themselves in the foot like that. It, this was as 2023 New England Patriots of a game as the 2023 New England Patriots have had. There's like these little flashes, mostly on defense. The, the, the kick return touchdown is the one thing that's out of out of character. Yeah, special teams, finally. Right. A lot of, a lot of, oh, they did have some missed kicks, and we'll get to that. Yeah. A lot of turnovers on offense. Defense holds up like the, the uh, uh, Bills had, I mean, three scoring drives. They had a pick six, but... You know, only once did they go the length of the field to score. They had like a 24-yard scoring drive. I think they had a 12-yard scoring drive. Um, the defense did all it could. The defense played well. If there's a silver lining here, it seems like the Patriots may finally have a plan for Josh Allen. But yep. the offense turned the ball over too much. And while there were some flashes later in the game, it's it's too little too late. We'll get into Bailey Zappi. I think him specifically, he's at the center of this. 
but that's just that's just who they are. They're too lopsided of a team right now. The defense is ready, but the offense isn't even close. Yep, and we can get into the progress on Allen, which is encouraging from kind of a lost season here. But we'll we'll start with Bailey, three interceptions. The big thing was be more consistent and you know in structure and it was still just way too hit or miss he's either throwing a beautiful ball downfield or, or kind of throwing an ugly interception and i know pff had him with zero turnover worthy plays which i didn't agree with i thought the first two interceptions were on him as he described it after the game even he was kind of late on that one to gesicki and then he opened the wrong way on the second one he had pop douglas on a screen but you know bad pass to parker who also ran a pretty lazy route so I thought those two were on Zappy. The third one looked definitely like more on Rager, even though it probably wasn't even going to be an accurate ball for what they wanted to run, but right. definitely a miscommunication with Rager there. But beyond the interceptions, it was still just way too hit or miss. He was holding the ball a long time, trying to develop these big plays downfield and just way too inconsistent still. So I'll, I'll say this for Zappy. I think the pocket movement thing is real. And yep, he's consistently definitely. getting away extending plays, dodging pass rushes, but he doesn't do anything after that. I thought the the incompletion to Mike Kosicki was very indicative of that, where he made a really good play to get away from the rusher and then just kind of put it in the ground at Kosicki's feet. If you can't do anything after you escape the rush, that, that pocket maneuverability doesn't really mean much. And people will say he made some nice throws late in that game, throwing down the field, the throw to Rager, I think was a better play by Rager to adjust the ball than it was by Zappi. Um, I do think the third interception was on him uh, as a miscommunication just based off what was said after the game. But in some ways, whatever you wanted to see from Bailey Zappi, you saw in this game, the Zappi people will say, well, you know, look at what he did later in the game and he was able to get them down the field a couple times and look what he did with his legs. When's the last time the Patriots had a quarterback be a factor with his legs? And the Zappi detractors will say, yeah, but he turned the ball over three times and they only scored, was it 14 points on offense, I think? Yeah. My whole thing with it have, is yeah. if your if your defense of a quarterback begins with, well, after he threw his third interception, <laughs> I don't really care what you have to say after that. Like maybe if it's a rookie and it's a preseason game, it's I I guess I can kind of see where you're doing that. No, I, I I've seen enough from Bailey Zappi. Look, I do think he belongs as backup in this league, and I do think there are, are some things he's shown that he deserves credit for. I said this last week, and I feel even stronger now. I put him in that Josh Dobbs, Tommy DeVito, like that, uh, you know, all these other backups that have had their 15 minutes of fame this year. I put him in that tier. He's not Brock Purdy, who's going to just kind of ascend out of nowhere and lead the franchise. That's not his role. I He's a good backup. There's value in having a good backup, and he's going to be in the league a long time and make a lot of money and not take a lot of hits. But the Patriots need to find a franchise quarterback, and Bailey Zappi is not that guy. We know at this point Mac Jones is not that guy. We're heading towards a quarterback offseason. There's just no I, – I, I don't care that Zappi stepped around a couple defenders and had a 17-yard touchdown run. It's, it hasn't been – the consistency's not there, and maybe Zappi gets them back a little closer to 500. Getting to seven or eight wins is not the goal here. It, yep. it shouldn't be, and the, 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 where they need to get to, Zappy's not going to get them there. Yep. Like, the hit-or-miss stuff plays when you're a backup, and you need to come in for three starts, and you saw Zappy he right. get you a win in Denver, get you a win in Pittsburgh, but as, as a full season, it's just not 
you know, it's not what you're looking for as your starting quarterbacks. But I agree he's a backup. So let me ask you this. Is he the right backup quarterback for this team? Because he was on radio uh, this this afternoon, and, and he was asked, what are your thoughts if the Patriots take a quarterback with their top five pick here? And he said he's going to be ready to compete for the starting job as he was this offseason. Is that a negative to have in your backup quarterback, do you think, as a guy who might be behind a rookie quarterback's shoulder saying, like, I'm trying to get in here, I'm trying to take your job, instead of it like a, a Chase Daniel or a Brian Hoyer who's just like, I'm here to help this guy and I don't need to be on the field right now. Yeah, look, Zappy's still young, and even Brian Hoyer, and, and maybe there was he was being a little facetious, but he even said when Brady was here, he he was going out like he was competing for the starting job, and he knew, like he said, yeah, he knew he wouldn't get it, but he was still a pro. You, you have to be competitive to play in the NFL. You just yeah. have to have a natural competitive streak, and frankly, it would bother me if Bailey Zapp said, yeah, I'll be the backup. That's fine. I don't care. Like, that's not, that's not the mentality you want. I think there are some quarterbacks in the league – there's some that played here that have that mentality and they're not very good. That's just, you need that drive to get better. So it doesn't bother me so much that Zappy said that still, I would like to see if they're going to bring in a young quarterback and more veteran guy to kind of lead them along. Now it doesn't mean Zappy can't also be here. You know, you had Mac Jones, Bailey Zappy, Brian Hoyer at one point, maybe it's something like that, but I, he should be competitive and I'm not going to fault the guy for being competitive. Absolutely not. But yeah, I, I the plan should still be around a first round pick, and he needs to be okay if it's not him. Yep. So actually, I I, I thought he gave the right answer to that. Yep. That's the right political answer. All that to give um, doesn't mean that he's going to you know be a child about it if if somebody else is starting next year. Yep, agree with you there. But uh, we can move on to some of the other offensive stuff. I think the other big story from Sunday was Trent Brown on the offensive line. And we talked about Trent a lot last week because it looked like his status might kind of be up in the air for this game. And he didn't even travel. People in Buffalo, some of the reporters said he didn't have a locker set up there. Now, he was removed from the injury report on Friday, so he was healthy. He physically could have played, but they kept him at home, Bailey Zappi even said today he learned, he said Friday or Saturday that Trent wasn't going to play. So this was a healthy bench. Leave him in, in Foxborough here. And there were some reports from Doug Kite of the Boston Herald that said because Trent missed some games with injuries and he knows he's not going to hit these playtime incentives that they haven't, they've had trouble keeping him motivated and locked in here down the stretch, which has been the story of Trent Brown's career here in, in New England. So I know we talked a lot about he's might be the best tackle available this offseason in the free agent market but this really just seems like we're headed to the end here with Trent Brown I won't rule it out until he signs somewhere else but it, it <laughs> okay. definitely seems like things are done I, I thought I, I, they seem done with him I can't imagine he's going to be very happy they scratched him and prevented him from getting his playtime bonuses it seems like a natural uh, parting in the ways and he he sir he, he's been look I think he's played through a lot I think the idea of him being soft is uh, a casual take if you really follow the team this year and and look we've reported it or, or we like media have reported some of it and like just seeing him in the locker room the guy's clearly battling right now yeah. but mentally he has seemed checked out at times and you just can't have that the guy's a top yeah. 10 tackle in the league when he's checked in but 
you can't bank on that, especially if you're going to be a rebuilding team. So they absolutely, I, I do think it's time for them to move on from Trent Brown. Yep. And you hope finally just invest something like a top, a high priority resource into that left tackle position and get that settled down because you don't want to keep having to rely on Trent Brown. But yeah, <laughs> he's still the top guy available or one of the top guys. So maybe, maybe, maybe he works his way back here. But that looks like it's uh, at the end of the road there for, for Trent Brown. But I will give some credit to Vidarian Lowe, who stepped up at that left tackle spot with Trent Brown down and actually played a pretty decent game. He looks a lot more comfortable on the left side. I went back and looked at his stats earlier this year. There was a four-game stretch. He gave up 24 pressures at right tackle. I forgot how bad that was. There was like a two-game stretch where he gave up 17, and he's only given up three the last two games at that left tackle spot. So he looks a lot more comfortable at that left side. You give him some some credit for battling there. And then but some weaker performances in the interior of that offensive line. Moffey, David Andrews had probably one of his worst games of the year. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give some credit to Vidarian Lowe there. It, it's kind of been a pattern with with the Patriots this year. Like City so early on, struggled, got benched, came back, was better. Uh, and now you're seeing it with uh, or Cole Strange too. Cole Strange struggled early benched hurt but like had some time off the field came back was better now you're seeing with Vidarian low yeah they're they're may, look they're gonna need every kind of tackle starters backups all that so i'm not saying he's he's solving all their problems at the left tackle position you know for the next 10 years but to see a little bit of growth can he be your your third tackle your swing tackle your your lay adrian wallow kind of guy moving forward i i kind of thought that was his role when he was coming out in the draft and if he keeps making some strides, yeah, he he has the makeup to be a serviceable backup tackle. It was really just I, – I, I think he has the physical skill to do it. A lot of his approach the first few games was weird, like the way he'd handle certain moves, the way he'd react to certain moves. And you just – he looked a lot more confident in what he was doing in terms yeah. of what he was seeing and how he was reacting to it. And that can go a long way. So – in that sense, I think it's encouraging what you see from him. And maybe, all right, maybe you can check backup tackle off the list for this offseason. Yeah. I mean, he's still a young, inexperienced player for the most part. So you hope, like, if he wants to be your third swing tackle, he's going to have to play better on the right side. So whatever right. that issue is, they're going to have to check that off because you can't have him being a serviceable backup at the left tackle. But then if your right tackle goes down, he's just going to be a turnstile there. Like, do you need him to? be serviceable on both sides if he wants to be that third tackle so uh maybe that's a point of emphasis for him in this offseason is whatever the issue there is on the right side fixing that and getting some of those kinks out but uh the other promising thing on the offensive line was we saw jake andrews for the first time this year on offense he had 13 snaps there at left guard and i mean for getting thrown into the fire against ed oliver in your first ever offensive snaps uh I, I thought it was pretty impressive a few pancakes in there so wouldn't be surprised maybe if he gets the start next week for a antonio Maffi, who he replaced that left guard there but just for for your first nfl action this late in the season it, it was pretty impressive from jake andrews there yeah it you know they took him in the fourth round and it's a little upsetting that it took this long for him to play offensive snaps especially with all the injuries they had on the offensive line but better late than never yeah <laughs> so i i hope he gets to play next week so we get a chance to see what he looks like and kind of evaluate him moving forward, especially if, you know, on the off chance David Andrews retires, Jake Andrews is going to be the next guy. So we get a much better idea of what the team's getting into with him. Yep. Would would be a, a good look against that 
Jets front too. Like if you yeah. go at Oliver to that Jets front for your first two NFL games, and it's right. uh, you, you have some decent showings. That that would be promising going into the off season. But uh, the only other offensive thing I had in my notes was Pop Douglas. I know he only had three catches for 31 yards, and one of them was that screen where he probably ran like 60 yards. But I thought it was another good game from him. I wrote down three or four other plays where he looked really wide open, but just the protection broke down or, or Bailey couldn't get him the ball. And then he even had that kind of diving catch where if Zappy hits him in stride, he could have maybe housed yeah. him. So I thought it was just, you know, we say it a lot. He's the bright spot on offense this week, but just another good game from, from pop there. And that's promising because he again, looks like part of the answer here going forward on offense. I, I honestly also thought, and I agree with you on pop. And, and I think people know how I feel about this at this point, yeah. whatever the offense looks like next year, he needs to have a role in it. Absolutely. I, I thought it, it to, to like what you said, like looking kind of away from the ball and, and you know, what were guys doing when the ball wasn't coming their way, the interception aside, I thought Jalen Rager played well. Yeah. I thought there were a couple of times where he was open and, and Zappy either didn't see him or like you said, the production bro- protection broke down or something. Uh, I, I'm not saying Jalen Rager is going to solve all their wide receiver issues. He's not, but you know, you have him, you have him coming to camp next year. He's battling for your, you know, fifth wide receiver spot. You also know he can return kicks. He's good at that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, I bring him back for another year and, and see what that looks like. Yep. Is he under contract next year? Is he still, he's still on his rookie deal, right? Yeah. But I think, this is it. I'm actually here. Let me see. Um, uh, yeah, he signed. A, yeah, no, no he's he's a he's, a, he's a pending free agent. Yep. But yeah, he. I mean, that catch downfield was extremely impressive. Kind of that. Oh, that was a great catch. Basket yeah. catch, like that late adjustment. That that was really impressive. And I mean, I don't know what Tyquan Thornton's future is going to be here next year, but if you just need that rotational guy at the bottom of your depth chart right. is a speed burner type of guy. Like uh, he might not be a bad guy to have in that role, but yeah, uh, Thornton but, is no guaranteed money on his contract. So I would not say yeah. it's a lock him coming back. And I mean, that could be a battle in camp. Those two guys for one spot that certainly could be the way it goes. Yep. Could definitely see that. But uh, any other uh, notes you had from Zappy Patriots offense in that one, or we can kick it over to the defense. Ah, uh, yeah, we can move over to the defense. All right, let's do that. But before we do that, we can very quickly hear from our friends over at FanDuel. <clears throat> Score early this NFL season with FanDuel. You know what's America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Look, if you're not good at math, you, you even you know that's a good deal. I mean, I'm not good at math. and I, I know that's a good deal. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use, so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off your NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, here we go, folks. Now pay attention to this. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 
1-800-GAM-1234. All right, you mentioned it in the beginning there, but another positive performance against Josh Allen, who has kind of bullied the Patriots the past few years, but uh, they made it difficult for him, and he was not good, and I'm sure you had a big smile on your face watching that game. I think he well completed 50% of his passes. He had about the same stat line that he did in the wind game. It was very close. Yeah, so it, it was not a good performance from him. They did a good job. You know, Jonathan Jones has been awesome down the stretch here. He did a good job taking away Stefan Diggs. They brought a lot of pressure, and Josh Allen was not good against the pressure. He was, If you take that 51-yarder away to Dalton Kincaid, which was kind of an aggressive blitz call, but if you take that one away, he was one for eight for nine yards in a sack against the blitz. So I, I thought it was a, a good game plan against him. It was a little different from the one earlier this year. They played a bit more man and, and did some other things mixed in there as well. So the fact that you get two positive performances against Josh Allen this year, uh, kind of an encouraging sign within this division. Oh, absolutely. And mm-hmm. there a lot of the guys that are key in this, Christian Barmore, I thought Keon White had an unbelievable game. Yep. Um, you know, they're good. Mac Wilson, they're probably going to be back next year. Wilson's the only one who's free agent. So there's no reason to think he can't keep this going or at least force him to beat you another way. Yeah, I, I thought it was another great plan on Allen. They got in his face. He was very sped up, uh, and he he struggled from the beginning. He takes that early sack, and then he sails the next two passes. He was not – wasn't much of a factor as a runner either. He obviously had the two, like, quarterback sneak touchdowns, but he wasn't killing you with his legs, you know, running all over the field. I, I, I thought they were great against Allen in this game. Yep. Keon White made a few really athletic plays. Keon White – Allen from scrambling. Yeah. He is six, like, six two ninety, and he's hanging with Josh Allen in the open field. That was yeah. awesome. He was he showed you like his physicaliness, some of those pass rush moves. Like he just swiped the left guard's hand out of there one time, QB hit, and then his his athleticism to keep up with Josh Allen. Like he's really starting to come on here, and that's a real encouraging sign down the stretch. And you know, we'll, we'll see what the coaching staff looks like here going into the offseason. But if you give him a full offseason, maybe with Demarcus Covington and Joe Kim there to really refine and retool that that pass rush toolbox or whatever you want to call it, he, he could be a really interesting player to, to watch coming into, into next year with these flashes that he's shown you at the end here. Yeah, it, it's and there, there's a, a there's going to be a theme here when we talk about some of these rookies on, on defense and what they did, but. They're going to need more of an edge presence next year with some of the guys that are pending for agents. And Keon White is doing a great job here of closing out season strong and setting himself up for a role next year. Yep. And, you know, Pat's stats brings it up here. Yeah. In the chat, like some of the other rookies, Mapu, Alex Austin, who I think Alex Austin was the other big one here because really nice interception kind of fading off that post and coming back to high point that. That ball, first career interception, probably felt good for him too because he got drafted by Buffalo yep. and they released him earlier this offseason. So coming back to do that and, you know, there's still some rookie moments. Looked like he was at fault for that uh, kind of lawn and completion to Stefan Diggs there. Looked like he might have been needed to be helper there. But there are some encouraging signs here with some of his play as of late, some of the physical tools. Like he's one, he's got some length to him and, We've talked a lot about that need for that third boundary cornerback or some cornerback depth, and maybe Alex Austin is working his way into a role for next year, and maybe like it's one less thing you need to prioritize or have on your to-do list this offseason. 
they are going to need a third boundary corner because you're going to have John Jones, Christian Gonzalez. Who's that third guy? Who's in that Jason McCourty role? And at this point, I, you got to bring Alex Austin back. Mm-hmm. Just bring him into camp. Let him compete for it. Uh, I, I think that would be a really good idea. You, you get that done before he hits the market. And I'm not saying he'll necessarily win it. You know, he's had a couple of good yeah. games. We'll see. But certainly a guy I'd like to see back in camp next year and I think would have the inside track competing for a role. Yep. I mean, if you have him – Sean Sean Wade, I think, is still under contract, and then Isaiah yeah. Bolden, and you hope maybe just one of those guys can have right. a good enough camp where you feel com- like those are three pretty talented guys. So if you can, and young guys, if they could just put it yeah. together and maybe check that box off, so uh, that's encouraging. But I mentioned it briefly, but I have to give a shout out to John Jones too in that secondary because he's just playing outstanding ball yeah. lately, even battling through a knee injury, and he had another good performance against Stefan Diggs there on Sunday. Yeah, he, he was awesome again. He's quietly had a great season. It's going to be really fun to see him and Christian Gonzalez next year, and hopefully we get a full season. Yeah. Did we, how much did we see them together this year? Because didn't Jones miss games much. at the beginning? We might not have seen them. At all? Did At all. Cause, no, because John Jones, didn't he play in the opener, he, and then he got hurt in practice the next week? Maybe. I'm pulling up his game log right now. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. Uh because I know he, he like not, he spent the whole summer pretty much battling that knee injury. So we saw it once. He played eighty yeah. percent of the snaps in the opener, and then he was inactive the next three weeks, including the Dallas game. And that's obviously came back against the Saints. So, yeah, we saw one game of the two of them together. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be fun to watch, considering John Jones doesn't fall off or something uh, this offseason. Right. But uh, I have to bring this one up too, Ashen. Talk about some Bills hate. Stefan Diggs does look pretty washed right now, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's asking his way out of Buffalo this offseason. Does he look washed, or does he not have a quarter? Or does he not have a quarterback who does, can get him the ball? Yeah, does he just look kind of checked out? But I will say, uh, Garvin's right here. Historically, and I talked about this before the season when I talked about the Bills' window closing. Diggs is uh, thirty years old, right? The numbers suggest a steep drop off. When receivers turn 30, receivers rarely produce from the age of 30 and on. I think there's only been like five guys in the last 10 years that have put up, you know, substantial numbers as a 30 year old wide receiver. So that Bill's windows, I mean, it's slamming shot. It is slamming shot and Allen's getting paid now. So that's going to impact them on the cap and and Diggs, I think is probably on the back end of it. So yeah, I I think you saw the real Buffalo bills in that game. I think that's who the bills are this year. I, I, I really do. And, you know, they still might win the division. I get that, especially now that Miami's losing everybody due to injury. But I think that's yep. who the Buffalo Bills are. Yep. Wouldn't be surprised to see them take a receiver first first round, second round, early in the draft, and, and maybe move on from Diggs there. But time will tell on that one. But any other notes, uh, anything specific you want to point out there defensively that we didn't talk about? Um, I think that was all my defensive notes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm good. So quickly, we can wrap up with special teams before we get over to some college football talk. Jalen Rager, awesome kick return. There are some big blocks. Farrell Brown, Matthew Slater. My, my whole thing watching this is like, what took so long to get Jalen Rager back there at kick return duties? Because since he's taken – or it's with returners who have at least six returns. So it, it's a low stat, obviously, but he's leading the league with averaging over 34 yards a return. And we watched Ty Montgomery, who 
I think we both like Ty Montgomery as a player, but they just misused him in all the wrong ways here. Like he wasn't a good kick returner. He got past the 25 yard line once and it was in week one. So what took so long to put a speedy Jalen Rager back there in this role? And now you're seeing kind of the dividends pay off of that. Man, it's the whole year. What took him so long to put Martin Mapu at linebacker? Why was Antonio Moffi playing over Jake Andrews? Why didn't Zeke get more work earlier in the year? That's the whole season. It's player usage. Uh, that's a big part of it. So you remember last year, it took him forever to get Marcus Jones returning punts. Yeah, it's it's it, it's crazy to think about, but you know he's there now, and you hope moving forward to next year, he, he kind of locks into that role if he makes a team. Yep. You'd imagine it's him if he makes a team or Isaiah Bolden, probably the leaders in that kick return right. clubhouse going forward. But uh, that was an awesome play, some key blocks, and good move by him to kind of bounce off the returner and keep his balance there. So that was impressive. But uh, Chad, Chad Ryland missed another field goal, 47-yarder. Should have missed the 53-yard field goal too, but you know got wiped out because of a delay of game. I just, I just don't know anymore with, with him. Like Cam Aker talked again this morning, and, and he said he's kicking well in practice. They're giving him the confidence to put him out there, but it's just not translating to the game field. So I, I guess at this point we're still just go get away for a month in the off season and come back. And you're going to be competing against someone at this point. So just try to have a good summer and get back to the kicker you showed you were at college and try to get back on track here. Yeah, they definitely need a uh, they need to bring somebody else in. And it, look, it wasn't a great snap on that kick, but it's just time and time again. And the operation's a mess and you had the delay a game and all of that. They they, they might have missed. They really might have missed. And like you said, they just got to, even if it's a UDFA, they got to get somebody in and have some sort of plan B. Honestly, I'd go with a veteran. I'd go try to get somebody proven, try well, to find had, the next. They had Matt Wright here, and then they just let him go. <laughs> He's not really like a veteran. Like, like he, like an I, older like, veteran. Yeah. I, you know, find the next Nick Folk is a bit strong. He's been one of the best kickers for the last three years. They signed a midseason off the street, but. Somebody who's been in the league, somebody who's had success in the league, you know, over a sustained period of time, who, who maybe like hasn't been as good the last year or two. And, and I try to get in a guy like that. I don't know who the free agent kickers are off the top of my head, but uh, I try to make a move like that. Looks like Greg Zerline, Brandon McManus. I mean, yeah, somebody like that. Those guys might command a little bit like actual money at the, at the position, but Joey Sly, Chase McLaughlin. Those are the, those seem to be the veterans. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised. Prater's still hanging on, right? Who? Matthew Prater. He's on the Cardinals still, I believe. Yeah. I don't know. Like if he's maybe a he's a guy. If he's going to come back, yeah. you call and. Just, yeah, I you know, saw hey. a lot of people on Twitter going for the Bama kicker yesterday. Like, I, I'd be pretty surprised if they go rookie kicker again here too straight. right and you don't everybody complaining about oh they drafted a kicker too high and then saying you want Will Riker. Will Riker is going to be. K one in this pick. draft, like yeah, yeah you're, you're talking about a top one hundred and fifty pick for for uh, Riker. So, yeah. I if you really want to, I mean, he wouldn't necessarily be a bad pick in his own right. I think he's a good player, but are you going to use you know high draft picks on a kicker back to back like that? That's what you have to consider. <clears throat> Actually, yeah. I, I should take that back. He might be K two. Harrison Mevis from from Missouri's up there. It's going to be the two of them. Yep. Yeah. So. There should be competition at some point. You hope Ryland can just get back on track maybe after a month off or, or whatever happens in the offseason and then you know can just be your kicker going forward so it's not a waste of a draft pick. But that's a 
something to circle back to in July and August right. as we watch those training camp practices. But uh, I believe that's it for Pat's Bills. Unless you had anything else, we can start talking some college football because the games yes. were excellent last night. But before we do that, very quickly, we can hear from SeatGeek. Yep. I've been looking for the best deal on Celtics tickets. And with over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app. There are more than 70,000 events every single day on SeatGeek, including concerts, sports festivals, and more. With the NFL, NBA, and NHL seasons of full swing, you don't want to miss out. SeatGeek has your tickets to every game. Plus, artists like Travis Scott are on tour. They put all the tickets across the web in one place to make sure you're getting a good deal. Each ticket is rated on a scale of 1 to 10, so look for the green dots. Green means good and red means bad. Every ticket is backed by their buyer guarantee, and SeatGeek is the only site that lets you return your tickets ahead of the event with swaps. So as you know, I always come through for you guys. You can use my code DREAMERSPRO for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code DREAMERSPRO. Make sure you check the link in the description to download the app. All right, so two awesome, awesome college football games last night. Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Washington. How about the special teams units making some huge impacts on those games, punters, kickers, but uh, two awesome games, some awesome quarterback play from Michael Penix late at night. Uh, I guess, which game do you want to start with, Michigan because it was first? We can just go chronologically, yeah. All right, so Michigan-Alabama came down overtime, kind of a slow game at, at first there as, you know, it was a big battle in the trenches, but then they got going at the end there. Uh, J.J. McCarthy... Jalen Milrow, what did you take away from that one? Uh, so I, I thought, you know, Michigan's defensive front is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, that was my biggest takeaway. I look, Alabama couldn't snap the ball at all, but <laughs> so even, fun. and that that's a self-inflicted wound. And I, I, you know, I'm screaming at the TV and put your fourth and three, you can't snap the ball. You can't block anything. You go quarterback dive. Are you freaking kidding me? Tommy Reese. But I snaps aside, even when they were able to snap it, I, I thought Michigan's defensive front just did such a good job in this game. Uh, you know, a lot of good players up there. Chris Jenkins, the defensive tackle, he'll be a top 50 pick. He, he I thought it was a really good day. Um, and then Blake Corum. Blake Corum's the real deal. Like Blake Corum, I don't want to hear. I know they're talking about, oh, J.J. McCarthy's the greatest Michigan quarterback, you know, since Bra- the, the bar's not that high. It's Chad Henney. That's kind of it. You know, Jake Ruddick. So, yeah, I, I thought Blake Corum made a push to be a top 50 pick. He's going to be a top 100 pick, made a push to be a top 50 pick because he just absolutely took that game over uh, in a way you don't see running backs do that much anymore, even in the college game, even from a Big Ten team. Against Bama, too. like that's... Right, against that Alabama defense. I, I thought he was really good. I was really impressed with Roman Wilson, too. Yep. Again, was... it kind of felt like J.J. McCarthy was along for the ride. He had that one nice throw where he was rolling to his left and came back and crossed and threw to the right. But you look, he gets bailed out on the tip ball by Roman Wilson on one of them. Um, you know, there's the other one, the pass back that, you know, he made a, a decent play on. But again, that's still a great catch. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, to me, the defensive front, uh, uh, Roman Wilson, Blake Corum, massive winners in this game. 
On the Alabama side, uh, I was hoping we'd see more from Jalen Milrow. I don't think the play calling helped him a ton, but he definitely left some plays on the field. I mean, the fumble is costly. That's an avoidable play. Um, I thought J.C. Latham did not have a great game. The the tackle who we've talked about is kind of maybe being a 10 to 15 pick. Maybe he falls a little bit off that because he, he got, got hurt too. Yeah, but he got bullied at times. Um and yeah, but you know, I, I think you come away from it again. I was the most impressed with Blake Corum. That he was a dude. He was a dude in this game. He was excellent. Yeah. Blake Corum and Roman Wilson were my two kind of takeaways from that game. Like that yeah. catch two by Roman Wilson at the end there. Like that was yeah. really impressive. Really good athlete too. So I know no one wants to hear running backs, or I guess just based off Twitter, Evan doesn't want to hear about <laughs> Evan running Evan refuses backs. to let me say Blake Corum's good. It doesn't have to even have to be in context of the Patriots. Just wait till they draft them in the third round or with their first pick in the third round or whatever, and right. everyone loses their well, money. Well, I don't yeah, know. He, I had originally said, like, hey, maybe you can get him with, like, you know, a round where you got Ramondre Stevenson. I don't think that's happening now. Yeah. So, he, I mean, he's, he's a good player, but I don't know if Patriots should be investing that pick in a running back, but maybe Roman Wilson and that, you know, third, fourth round range could be a, a good receiver to look at, but yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of out got on the athleticism. They need at receiver. Certainly. Yeah. yeah I'm kind of, I think I was already out on JJ McCarthy and that yeah. game certainly didn't reel me back into. Yeah. JJ he didn't McCarthy. play particularly well. He got bailed out, should have thrown an interception off the jump. Right. And then, yeah, that was crazy. It, you know, who, you know, watching that felt a lot like it felt a lot like watching Bailey Zappi where like there were two or three individual plays where I was like, all right, like that's pretty cool. But then as a whole, I was like, this guy's really just not doing anything. He's not seeing the field. Right. And, that's not to say he's not draftable. I, I mean, I think JJ McCarthy's draftable. I think there's some upside there, but he's just, he's so far away at this point. You, that's a guy you draft to, to bench for a year, maybe two. And uh, you, you need a real legit bridge guy. So maybe there's teams he's a fit for on day two, not the Patriots. Patriots need a day one starter. I still see Minnesota taking him, like sitting behind Kirk Cousins if he's healthy for a year. Yeah. Get in with like that Kevin O'Connell, Shanahan kind of system a guy with some athleticism and i don't know I'm, I'm, i think the niners if they think there's yeah. any chance they're not going to pay brock purdy he'd be the perfect guy to step in yep now i have another guy i want the vikings to take well assuming the patriots don't take him but we'll get to him Penix. yeah okay. him throw oh my god him throwing all the justin jefferson oh that just, would be put it on him down the field that's unstoppable and, him, Addison, and Hawkinson, that would be with Penix thrown to him. That would be fun. But that would not be fair. Yeah. Let's, let's get to it. The late night game, 37 31, almost a monumental collapse by Washington yeah. there. But uh, we'll start with Penix because he was just throwing javelins all over the field. Just we, we've talked about the arm talent a lot, and, and he was just slain in it last night. The thing to me that was excuse me that was most impressive was his movement in the pocket because we haven't like he was looking like he did kind of in his indiana days we haven't seen that a lot this year creating kind of out of structure but he was moving around back there a lot he was under a lot of pressure from that texas defensive front and he handled it absolutely perfectly and he was just ridiculous last night and and not just the movement in the pocket, but as a runner, just as an yeah, outright runner, he was, he was good. I, I've tried to tell people who tell me he's immobile. It's not that he can't run. He doesn't do it. He's a pass first quarterback and he's had some knee injuries. And I think he's a little hesitant, but what a perfect time. I said, when he needs to, he can do it. What a perfect time to break it out in a playoff game, the new little wrinkle. And he was effective doing it. 
and then, yeah, what he did as a passer, I mean, that is one of the best quarterback games I have seen in my six years really, you know, watching these guys as, as, as draft prospects. I mean, he's putting the ball. They don't have the option to not catch it. He's just putting the ball on guys' hands before they can even get him up. And, you know, the the throw to Odunze up the seam. Uh, the, the, was it the McMillan, the one where he splits the safeties, just zips it between them. The great throw to Polk to open the game. By the way, Jalen Polk had himself a hell of a night. Yep. That guy did himself a lot of favors, I think, when it comes to the draft. Uh, you know, just, again, just dots. I, I, I still believe this. Michael Penix has the best pure arm talent in this draft. There is not a better thrower of the football in this draft than Michael Penix. And uh, you know what? Probably the last two drafts. I think he's a better thrower of the football than anybody who went last year and certainly a better thrower of the football than anybody who went in that, you know, Kenny Pickett draft. not saying much, but still. Now, that's not to say he should go 1-1. I think him being 24 is a legitimate, not red flag, but you're talking, forget like growth. When you sign him to a second contract, he's already going to be 30, which is, you know, for you're drafting for the long term versus a guy like a like a Drake May who's going to be 21, and Caleb Williams is going to be 20. That's a different conversation. I get that. I understand that. That's going to knock him down. And the the injury history is real. The injury history yeah. is real, and you have to consider he's had four season-ending injuries before the last two years. The guy might have some durability problems, and if you're a bad team drafting that high, you probably don't have a great line. And this is a guy you need to take care of. That all being said, and and we talked about this last week, Brian. His whole thing in this playoffs, and we'll see what he does. Texas defense is pretty good. It's top 20 defense in the nation. Michigan's number one. So we'll see what he does against Michigan. But the the whole thing for me with him is kind of, can he prove that all those red flags are worth taking the chance on? Because he's just so good you can't pass. And that game last night is kind of the point, is kind of exactly that, where you're looking at that and – yeah, I know he has the knee injuries, but just to, again, the, the the thing that always comes back to me, the phrase is putting it. You hear you hear uh, you know talk about quarterbacks putting it on a guy, right? Which is you know when the quarterback throws the ball, how much does the receiver have to adjust? How much does the receiver have to go outside his catch radius? Or if he's going outside his catch radius, you know how much effort does he have to make to get to where the ball is? Michael Penix, it's not like he's putting the ball in the area and these guys are making these great catches. It's right in the, it looks like a glitch. It's right in the breadbasket every time. There's times I thought the ball fell incomplete because I didn't see the wide receiver even make a motion to go out and catch the ball because the ball's where his hands already were. He's like, it's he's like throwing un- it to nets or in trash buckets. It's just right. It's unbelievable. So I, I still <laughs> struggle to put a hit him ahead of Caleb Williams I, 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 I'm, he's in that tier with Drake May and Jane Daniels. I, I would worry with the Patriots with the offensive line, like your next pick has to be a tackle and you got to go get a tackling for agency. You can't have this guy taking hits, but there's a, I, I, I think the question was, we know there's a gap from one to two from Caleb Williams to either whoever, you know, you wanted, whether it's Drake May or Jane Daniels, we know there's a gap from one to two. I think the gap from one to two is bigger than two to three, but it's really the big, this might be a four QB draft. I I was red in the face all week last week when everybody was upset about the Patriots winning, saying it was a a three quarterback draft, not two. It might be four. It might be, you might have, if, if Michael Penix shows up against Michigan, 
the way he showed up against Texas and then clears all the medical testing at the combine. I don't see how he gets out of the top 15 because the talent is just too, it's, it's too immense. It's, 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 he is what every team wants in a passer. And I just don't think you're going to get that many teams passing on him that many times. Yep. He's definitely assuming the medicals, which is the big thing. Check out. Right. And then that's the caveat on all of this. Like, yeah. Because I saw some people say, oh, well, you know, if something happens where he falls to the second, do you maybe take him then? I think I, me if something personally, happens, I think you're out. Right. Like, feel how you want to feel. I'm all or nothing on Michael Penix. If he clears the medicals, he's a first round pick. There's no question about it. If he doesn't clear the medicals, I don't really want him. I don't want a guy with with two bad knees. And when I say I don't really want him, if he falls like the sixth round, sure, you could do the, the <laughs> RG3 Kirk Cousins thing. But I'm not touching him in the top 150 if he has paper mache knees. I, that, I'm that way about any prospect. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, it's not like, oh, well, you know, there's a little red flag in the medical, so you take him in the second round. No, no. it's it, If you want him, you take him. It's that simple. If he's worth taking, he's going to go. That's just the reality of it. And it's not exactly apples to apples, but you think, all right, you know, if, if there's a flag on the knee injury, how bad can it be? Certainly looks like the Patriots may have ignored a, a red flag on Juju Smith-Schuster, and you've seen how that's kind of turned out. So if he clears, great. If not, you you find somebody else. That's just what you do. Yep. Uh, he's definitely working his way into the first round with all that. Yeah. And, I mean, I saw people last night saying he should be the first quarterback taken off the board and we need to like not be a prisoner of the moment that much a little bit. But I think on pure talent, there's an argument for it. Okay. But, but that's just prospect, not how the draft works. Yeah, right. As like prospect, as just not. if you watch that game last night and you know nothing else about him. Yes, that is QB one <clears> arm talent. But you the age and injuries are they're a part of it that's just how this thing works they are a part of it and when you have a guy in caleb williams who's 20 years old and is making some of the plays he is yeah he's gonna go in terms of the what you have to think of the traffic as like a long-term investment right you're talking about another three or four years you're talking about a whole other contract is the difference between caleb williams with his age and michael Penix with his age especially with his injury history that's that's the difference to me and you mentioned He'll need an offensive line because of the injuries. Yeah. Does the hole he's throwing to three NFL caliber wide receivers worry you at all? Because we went through all this with Mac yeah. Jones, obviously the last cycle that that Alabama offense was stacked, and you know Penix is throwing to a guy who might be a top ten pick, a guy who maybe Polk gets into the first round now, and Jalen McMillan might not be yeah. too far behind him. So, is that something? You know, he's got a really good setup there in Washington from the offensive line to the receivers. Does that worry you moving forward too? I mean, look, I, I understand why people are worried about that with Mac Jones, and I'm not saying it's not a factor. But if that's disqualifying, I would say show me a quarterback in this draft that doesn't have an all-star cast. You know, Caleb just Williams. Drake is, May. It's just right, Drake, it's Drake May. May is the only one. So, And if that's your take, if you say, I, I want a guy who would earn it, I want a guy who had to earn it. I want a guy that played with crap. I want, you know, 2010 Cam Newton at Auburn where none of the other 10 offensive starters even played in the NFL. And UNC is better than that. Tez Walker's legit. And Amari and Hampton, uh, he'll, he'll be in the draft next year, but he's going to be one of the top running backs in the draft. Drake Mays, your guy then, because Caleb Williams is throwing a three top 100 picks. Just two of them are underclassmen, so they won't be in the draft this year. That's why we're not talking about his supporting class as much. Uh, you know, Quinn Ewers, I actually think Texas' skill position players are better than Washington's. Adunze is the best of all of them, but 
Xavier Worthy kind of got shut down last night, but you saw what A.D. Mitchell can do. I thought Jatavian Sanders had a very good game. Uh, we know who, who, who uh, Michael Penix is throwing to. Bo Nix is throwing to two top 100 picks. You want to throw J.J. McCarthy in there. Mm-hmm. We just talked about Roman Wilson, and really it's the running game that's carrying that team. And he's got two of you know probably the five first running backs to go off the board this year in Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards behind him. Uh, I don't know. Who else am I missing? Like it's every – quarterback uh you know Cameron Ward who kind of surprised came out maybe maybe that's the guy you want but he's kind of a risk because he's pretty inexperienced so you can you can worry about that that's fine I just think that that's in the age of NIL in the transfer portal every top quarterback is going to be playing is going to be playing with stars because the receivers are going to gravitate to these guys because they want to look better because they want to get drafted higher and it's not easy but what I would urge people to do if you're watching, and this is why it doesn't worry me so much with Penix, watch what the quarterback does independent of what's happening around him, right? Because he may have a great offensive line. It's not going to be perfect. How does he throw when he does get pressure, even if it's not that often? And let's say he has a 300-yard game, right? How much of that was after the catch? That's why like, I go to Bo Nix. His average depth of target is six yards. That's the lowest in the country among qualified quarterbacks. So – he had some massive numbers, but how much of that is him versus the guys around him, right? When he's throwing the ball down the field, is it, you know, is he putting it on the receivers or are these receivers just making unbelievable plays? And that's why with Penix, we just talked about it. He was making plays against pressure last night. And it it was the best. He has struggled against pressure a little bit this year. But to do that against that defense, I think, deserves some credit. And then again, it's not like Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, are out here making sports center top 10 catches the whole game. Every right time their, the ball right is their put bread basket. <laughs> right, right on them. So that, you know, maybe the receivers suck, but if Michael Penix gets to new England and Tyquan Thornton's dropping three passes a game and, you know, Devonte Parker's not jumping for the ball and all that, and he's dropping, that's not on Michael Penix. It, it's going to hurt his stats. But it's not on Michael Penix. So I think you really have to look and, and you could say the same for all the quarterbacks. We're talking about Penix here, but I think you look at Caleb Williams and there's certainly t- a, a good amount on his tape where he's making the play and he's putting it on the wide receiver and he's, you know, handling this and that he didn't have a good offensive line. So you get a good idea of what he looks like under pressure. You you have to have to have to look at what the quarterback is doing independent of what's around him. Forget who the receiver is. Was the ball on target? Yes or no? And with Penix, yes, it's usually on target. Even the one, the one that was tipped. And at first, I thought the corner tipped it. No, he got that by the corner. And then I think that was McMillan, right? McMillan tipped it up to himself. So I, you look at what the quarterback's doing independently. Yep. Uh, Just very quickly, Quinn Ewers. Uh, he's going to go back to school, right? Like he, he, he impressed should. kind of with his legs, but as a passer, like, yeah, it just wasn't a good enough I performance still... against a Washington defense that it isn't, you know, it's been pretty leaky throughout the year. So I thought they were almost going to go to arch in that game. They kept showing right. him on the sideline, but yeah, I think Quinn yours is, is whether it's Texas or another school, looks like he might be going back to the college landscape. It, the run game was good. That was impressive, but yeah, I, you know, there were some reports that Xavier Worthy was still dealing with that ankle injury. Maybe that's why he wasn't as involved. There were windows where I thought Quinn Ewers looked really good. He had that one drive where he's going to Jatavian Sanders before he checks down to the running back who fumbles. Obviously, the late scoring drive. And then, you know, again, to get down the field, good throw to Jordan Whittington. Uh, I 
thought, you know, uh, the touchdown throw to AD Mitch was pretty good. The last throw that's on Ewers, he's got to put that ball more, you know, that's got to be more back shoulder than outside and, and give him a chance to make a play on the ball. The corner made a fantastic play on that. Um, no, I, I think from a tech's point of view, yeah, you're, you're probably going to see Ewers go back to school. I think Jatavian Sanders helped his draft stock. AD Mitchell, I don't know, he helped. He maintained it. Like he didn't have a bad game. Xavier Worthy, I was looking for more from. Um, and then one more guy who I just thought had a fantastic game in this is Jabbar Muhammad, the corner from Washington, number one. And I know I just said Worthy was a little banged up, but even Xavier Worthy, 80%, is a damn good player. And Jabbar Muhammad did a really great job on him, had a couple of big pass breakups. Um, that's a guy, you know, we talked about the Patriots are going to need like that third boundary corner. Jabbar Muhammad, he can play on the boundary, he can play in the slot, he can play a little safety. You know, undersized boundary corner at Washington, who's probably going to become a multi-positional defensive back in the NFL, plays very smart, plays very tough, uh, maybe isn't the best athlete, but makes up for it with his motor. Does this sound like anybody, Brian? Does this sound familiar? Uh, definitely a Miles Bryant kind of looking guy there, and, and obviously Bryant's had a good season here, so... Yeah, if you caught number one on Washington on defense, it's a doomsday on offense. If you caught number one for Washington on defense, Jabbar Muhammad, uh, I, I was really impressed by what he did in this game. And uh, Braylon Trice. Was Braylon, I was going to say, it's probably yeah. not a Patriots range player, but Braylon no, but Trice I, is I, awesome I mean, so Braylon Trice, number eight for Washington, the defensive end, just physical mauling. Yeah. You know, he had a couple sacks. He had a couple run stuffs. Did really well against Christian Jones, who's like a fringe day two, day three right tackle for Texas. How much was Bill foaming at the mouth watching Braylon Trice? I mean, holy, like, is it looks like prime Dietrich Wise? It is un you know, that is Patriot, you know, as Mike Catholic would say, Patriot. And I'm not saying <laughs> they should take him because you're gonna have to use your first round pick on him. But boy, if it's up to Bill, uh, he's gonna be tempted by Braylon Trice, man. He's gonna he's gonna go in there and make a case because that was a Patriots kind of game from a defensive end. Yep, he he was awesome. That game caused a lot of havoc. That I mean. Texas or Washington did everything to try to blow that at the end, but yeah, some I mean those play calls at the end from Sark were pretty bad down near the goal line, and then he he should have went for two earlier too when they cut it down to seven. I don't know. He must have been watching Tommy Reese's play calls earlier, and uh, his right. forty his forty play script was it wasn't that it ran out of time there, so. Uh, a tough ending there from Texas, but Washington moves on. They'll play Michigan in the national championship, the Big Ten Bowl, as I'm I'm, I'm calling it next uh, Monday, I believe. So right. that'll be a big one for Penix and all those kind of prospects we just watched or we just talked about. Excuse me, but the Patriots will also wrap up their 2023 season finally on <laughs> Sunday at Foxborough with the New York Jets coming to town a game that could mark the end of a lot of things with Bill Belichick, Matthew Slater, David Andrews could be a lot of uh, things coming to an end in this dynasty era for the Patriots. But Alex and I will be back on Thursday to preview that one in more detail. So make sure you subscribe to the channel and turn on your notifications. So you do know when we go live in the meantime, you can also follow Alex on Twitter at real Alex Barth and head over to 985thesportshub.com to read his Patriots and college football writing. And you can follow me on Twitter at I am Brian Hines and head to patspulpit.com to check out my Patriots coverage. Thank you all as always for tuning in and we will see you guys.